Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the DJ Sessions Presents the Virtual Sessions. I'm your host, Darren, and right now I'm sitting in the virtual studios in Seattle, Washington, and coming in all the way from Buffalo, New York, we have Bill Bolden, or a.k.a. Down Upright. I hope I got that last name right, Bill. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today, Darren. You're welcome. And it looks like you're in your studio right now. Is that correct? Yes, I kind of have a um, five-screen wraparound battle station. I do my day job work over there as a fractional CTO, and I do my music production work right here on the screen you're on. And I got my coworker Bones in the corner helping out. Oh, Bones. Look at those Bones in the corner helping out. We're going to talk, maybe we'll get a little into what Bones is all about in just a few moments. But you started at a very early age um playing around with like some of the basic like basic of the basic gear out there right i mean microsoft midi studio some casio keyboards but um over the life of your career you've learned to play with a lot of different saw uh, daws out there um out of all of them which one has been your favorite well i was really a devotee of sonar which was formerly cakewalk It was the first real non-Microsoft MIDI studio, non-Casio DAW I used, and I fell in love with it. And I upgraded from Cakewalk 8 to Cakewalk 9 to Sonar, Sonar 2, Sonar 3, 5, 6, 9, X1, and X3, before finally Sonar lost in the great DAW wars to Ableton, which is just taking over everything. So I bit the bullet and made the switch to Ableton about three years back. Now I truly love Ableton, but I've also used Pro Tools and um, Logic at times. I love me some Logic. I used to work for Apple, as everyone knows, because I always let people know that I used to work for the company. But I actually got hands-on with it back in... uh, Oh, and it was still Logic 7. Uh, I was a certified trainer for Apple. So I got to, got to try it out, play with it, and test it, and then teach people how to use it. Not how to do music production, just how to navigate through the software to do things with music production. <laughs> you know, but I it's always like loved a, it. Oh, I always tell people um, knowing how to use Microsoft Word is not the same thing as knowing how to be a good writer. It's two different skill sets. I think I think that, that probably was the best analogy I've heard in a long, long time. Now, you have released many projects over the years to a variety of different artists' names. Down Upright is your current, what you currently go by. Can you tell us what the meaning behind Down Upright is? Yeah, it actually works on a few layers. So I knew I wanted to make lots of video game remixes. So I wanted to pick something that sounded game-y. And down upright sort of sounds like a cheat code or a special move you might perform. And there's also a reference to my ongoing struggles with depression and anxiety in there. Where um, I've always, you know, been up and down. I'm I'm always going up and down and so I'm I'm up then I'm down but I always try to stay right. And uh that is sort of the hidden meaning of down upright. And you know being a performer, being a, are you just a studio musician because you get out of the studio, you play out and about, right? You're a DJ as well, correct? Yeah, I've been a DJ for over 10 years. Now I'm uh 
COVID really put a hurting on my DJ side of my career, and I haven't really renewed it since. I just came out of retirement last weekend to DJ a friend's wedding. But um, I was the house DJ at the casino for many years, and I've done lots of shows, uh, made many mistakes, um, but had some great successes too. And um, I'm not performing actively right now, but I'd love to get back out there if, if my latest project is successful. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of latest projects, we'll, we'll be talking about that in just a few moments, but you've had some pretty good success with your past projects um, titled Music to Die in Space 2 and Pieces. Tell our audience, which one came first? Music to Die Alone in Space 2. Oh, Die Alone in Space 2. That's right. Die Alone, Die Alone in Space 2. That came first. Tell us the, the meaning behind that project. What was the concept? What was the concept behind that project? So there was sort of two things going on. First, it had a really strong hook, which is that it's a concept album about an astronaut who gets severed from their ship and is drifting off in space waiting to run out of air and die. And it was actually written about a fear of asphyxiation I was trying to overcome at the time. Um, so by working on an album about that and trying to replicate the sound of running out of oxygen, I was able to fully explore that phenomenon and conquer that fear. Now, the other interesting thing about it was that there was a hook that was only made possible via Kickstarter, which was that I would re-record the album in its entirety for every individual backer. So a copy cost over $50. And to buy a copy, I would start over again, record the album again just for you, and mail you a copy that had its own mistakes, its own happy accidents, your unique version. And I wound up having to record that album 310 times to complete oh the product. <laughs> wow, that is awesome. I mean, speak about doing it kind of NFT style before NFTs were available. <laughs> its own unique that was version. Very much what I was getting at was um, even in 2015, when I launched this project, I realized that a sense of ownership had left music and people were definitely trying to reclaim a sense of what does it mean to own music the way I used to. And so the concept behind Music to Die Alone in Space 2 was here is a way you could own music again. You know, yeah. you could have a copy of an album made just for you. You know, that's something that... that and we'll talk about NFTs in a little bit here. Um, I mean, have you explored NFTs? Have you looked in, in, into that arena or that, that rabbit hole? <laughs> so my day job is a, as a fractional CTO of several different tech startups. So I do stay abreast of what's happening in crypto and I'm pretty well versed in it. But as an artist, I'm not sold on NFTs yet. I don't doubt that there's cool things happening, but I haven't yet seen the use case where I can say, this is great for the listener. Um, and I try to explore in other directions, you know, away from the crypto arena. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can, would you care to elaborate on some of those areas you, you do explore on? Well, for instance, the idea of owning a song, not because the blockchain says you own it, but because it was recorded just for you. Oh. Or... Yeah. As we'll talk about when we get to pieces, the concept behind pieces, which was even bolder, um, I think there's a lot of interesting directions you can take music that don't 
have to be as controversial as NFTs, which a, a couple mm -hmm. people asked me if my new Kickstarter would be available as NFTs. And I decided no, because they would be too divisive to the community mm -hmm. at this point in time. And segueing right into pieces. Let's talk about that project there. Um, what was the con concept behind pieces? So pieces was an attempt to do what I was calling distributed storytelling. Again, everyone got their own copy of the album, but it was a storytelling environment where um, America was post-apocalyptic and I wrote a short novel about how it was destroyed, hired voice actors to play out the parts in scripts, scrambled them using cassette tapes, and then sent out everybody a unique copy of the ambient album with different snippets of the story scrambled on their copy. And the idea is, is that everyone gets a window into the hole. One person might learn about the, the plague that swept America, where the other person learns about the government response, and another person learns about the militia taking everything over all these different clues, but they're not all on the same copy. And everyone would have to work together to piece together the whole story. So that was my attempt at distributed storytelling. And how many of those did you end up making? So those, um, it was slightly less successful than Music to Die Alone in Space mm -hmm. 2. It raised 15K rather than 25K. And I made 98 unique copies of those. And so somewhere out there is 98 different people who each have unique keys with their own copy to one ninety eighth of the total story. And when you released each of these, did you assign each one of them a number? So if I had number 17, I could maybe go find who had number 18 and continue the story or was there a yes. way we could collaborate together? I mean, and what, how, 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 how did you distribute this? You mentioned cassette tapes earlier, but did you, did you put this on CDs? Did you put it on cassette? How did you, how I did released, you I released it digitally as MP3s, um, okay. but there was also an option where I would write your custom copy to a vinyl, and that was a very expensive option to create a <laughs> yeah. vinyl that's a one-off, but I was able to issue 17 unique vinyls that are the only vinyl in the world. Oh, wow. Oh, that is awesome. What an undertaking, but I'm wondering if it really even compares to what you just put down recently or what you just launched today, correct? Just today, right yep. out of the gate, right? Just today. Just today, we're doomed, we're dancing, 60 songs in 60 minutes. Tell us all about that project. So there's a couple things going on. First, I noticed my songs keep getting shorter. They used to be four minutes, then they were three minutes, now they're barely over two minutes. And at the same time, TikTok and Reels are changing it so that people only ever use 60 seconds of a song in the first place. So I suddenly embrace this concept of 60, 60 minute songs all strung together in one continuous party mix. 60, 60 minute songs? 60, 60 second songs. Sorry. <laughs> There's like, so many 60s in this project. <laughs> Um, that I, I kind of got spun around 60, 60 <laughs> second songs and they all mix together, but there's a rule. No two consecutive tracks can be from the same genre. 
So this is bringing in all my challenges that I learned in my years as the house DJ at the casino, how to seamlessly mix top 40 into country, into hip hop, into EDM and back again. And I've got these sequences of songs that they're all originals and it's a nice little 60 second song. And then now it's house music. And then now it's, now it's reggaeton. And the real hook and the thing that makes it crazy that it's on Kickstarter this time is that all the backers get to participate and vote on what genres I have to mix into each other. So if you sign up to be a backer of We're Doomed, We're Dancing, you get to contribute to polls that are like, all right, you're going to make a thrash metal track and it's going to mix into liquid drum and bass. Good luck. And I'm going to make it work. And wait a second. And you're producing these tracks, correct? I'm producing them all too, with a lot of help from over 40 collaborators and co-producers. Awesome. Any names we might know? Um, probably one of the, the bigger names. Now, it all depends on how much money I raise. If I can raise 50K, I can start talking big names. You know, if I raise just uh, 2 or 3K, I'll still be happy but I'm going to have to mostly stick with indie musicians. But so far, let me run down my um, super spreadsheet here. I've got <laughs> Alex Hamilton, Kibo, Rox Nice, Nicholas Deuce, Lee Gibson, Synth Coven, Hubris, David Gage, Taurus Savant. Taurus Savant's track is incredible. Colony is coming in for three tracks. So's Digital Geist. All longtime collaborators. Awesome. Who who has been your biggest influence when it comes to your career as an artist and why? Well, I would say that each of these Kickstarters had a different inspiration. So um, Music to Die Alone in Space 2 is probably closer to some of Massive Attack's later work than it is anything else. Um, I always thought of Massive Attack as music you could neatly like lay down in a corner and just quietly die to and that uh, i mean that always was part of the charm for me it was good like nihilism music and that was a major inspiration for music to die alone in space too but pieces drew heavily from the works of brian eno and it used the techniques he pioneered on ambient music for airports to randomly generate its ambient music in a procedural fashion and now this album really owes more to girl talk than anything else yeah because listening to the album it's not mashups it's all originals but it still feels like listening to girl talk because it's like here we are we're listening to a rock riff oh now there's a new rapper oh now someone's doing soul music okay great cool <laughs> have you ever experimented with mixing audio and video at the same time and if not would that be something you might look to do in the future i i'm trying to stay focused on kickstarter 3 but Kickstarter 4 probably sees me join forces with an animator of some kind and uh, explore what's possible if we begin trying to turn video on its head the same way I've turned audio on its head. And um, trying to think how to word this next question. Is it, have you looked at doing anything in VR or or working with AR as well, or that would be two more Kickstarters down the line after the yeah, that, 
I have an idea for a VR startup, but it's not as the musician down upright. It's it's as Bill Bolden, the developer, the engineer. Um, I do want to take my first steps into VR one day with a cool idea I had for an app, but um, it's not ready yet. Cool. And when did you start? I mean, you started, like I said, we talked about this earlier. You started early on at the age of 10, kind of getting involved with electronic music. Were you into electronic music like right from the get-go or were you listening to other genres of music and then kind of found your way into the electronic music genre and then started DJing and, and kind of becoming multi-genre or what was your flavor that you were listening to when you were 10 years old or what, I guess, what moment to find that you were into electronic music? I would say 1998, I would have been 14 years old. And that is the year that You've Come a Long Way Baby by Fatboy Slim came out, Play by Moby came out, yeah. Dig Your Own Hole by The Chemical Brothers came out, yeah. and Fat of the Land by The Prodigy came out. Yeah. And those four never left my CD changer. I was onto <laughs> electronic music from the beginning. <laughs> awesome. Was, and those original goats, Fatboy, Moby, Prodigy, Chemical Brothers, I've never stopped loving them. Does does your family enjoy and listen to your music? My sister has appeared on several of my Kickstarters, and she's a very good bassist, and she may be making an appearance on this Kickstarter. My father appeared on one of my Kickstarters. He's a slap bassist, um, and he contributed ambient slap riffs to pieces. I might bring him in to help make a funk song for we're doomed we're dancing um my mom is my mom so she likes it when i sing and she's always like billy why don't you sing more often you have such a beautiful voice i like it when you sing not when other people sing but moms you know her heart's in the right place and my brother is is a fan yeah what what is something you couldn't do without right Right now, it would be hard to imagine a life without Magic the Gathering. That game got me through the pandemic. Mm, an MTG fan. Arena or card? Uh, for a long time, card. Now, <laughs> Arena. Um, I have the mana symbols tattooed across my chest. Just out of sight, hidden under this shirt. Um, and I got that tattoo because it was so meaningful to me. Because... There was a significant swath of like 15 years of my life where every friend I had, every experience I had, every time I traveled, it was for MTG, MTG, MTG. I still to this day have seen more of the world for the purpose of having gone there for tournaments than I have for all other reasons put together. And, you know, like my my friends' weddings that I've officiated and DJed every time it's somebody I met because of MTG. It's just so important to me. Uh, just a little, little unknown fact about me. I started playing in 95. That's a, just when I started playing too. <laughs> I just barely missed. Um, I just barely missed legends and got in it like fallen empires and revised. Yeah. I came in, I came in right, right outside of, uh, Right when Revise came out. 
And I nice. didn't. I, I remember seeing my first cards. Oh, we can geek on magic now. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> uh oh. I remember seeing my first cards, and I didn't understand what it was. And I was at this convention, and all these booths, these card collectors, they had free cards that they were giving away. Totally junk cards, but I was picking up every single one I could because I was just like, "This is a, this is awesome. This is awesome." And I, I ended up started. Um, I started just looking at the game, and then a friend of mine he ran a baseball card shop and so he's all sports, 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 but they obviously carried magic, the gathering in the, in the store. So he's like, Oh, you're into that geek stuff. And I'm like, yes, I am. Because this geek stuff is a game. It's not just collecting a baseball card and who look at it's in a folder. This is an actual kick-ass game. And I'm a huge D and D fan. So, you know, I'm all about wizards and swords and dragons. Oh my, you know, and, this game was just totally kick ass. And so I sat on and played some games with it at, at these conventions. And then I, I started getting my own cards and he'd always slide me free packs when I went into the shop too, not knowing what was inside those free packs. <laughs> like there's <gonna> some <laughs> really good cards. And I recently found um, my old collection. Now, of course I played them. I, I didn't save them. I didn't think collectible card game back in the day. I, I thought, let's go in and kick somebody's ass with this card game type of thinking, you know, but, um, Countless hours spent. I love that arena's there. I actually had to remove it from my computer recently because I could spend two or three hours just playing and not get <laughs> any work done whatsoever. <laughs> you know, when I keep it on my phone, I keep it when I'm going mobile on trips and I keep it on my iPads. So, you know, if I'm out there, then I can be like, okay, I'm not in front of my computer. I can pull out an iPad. I'll, I'll play here. But um, no, I just love the game, the dynamic. I do. It has moved so fast and gotten so vast, though, and, and huge. I mean, I, is it 47 different languages now or 52? It's some people don't understand. I used to explain to them, I go, it's kind of like Monopoly meets craps meets poker. Uh, all in one, but with a whole fantasy element to it. And you never know. Like I tell people, you can't just play one or two games of Magic. They thought I was insane. They're like, I play one or two games of Magic and I'm done. I'm like, no, your deck doesn't even get churned. It doesn't even get churned by that point. You don't even know it's going to work. <laughs> like, what do you mean? The I'm cards like, are just getting warm. Yeah, cards are just getting like you did. Yeah. So, anyways, again, we could talk about Magic with the Gathering for a long time, but um, but back to music. Back to music production. If you could steal one item from Dead Mouse's studio, what would that be? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to... If that one Lambo he has isn't an option, it has to be from the studio. It can't be, be that like tricked-out Lambo. Yeah. I've got everything I need right now. I've got every piece of music gear i've got the keyboards i've got all the synthesizers i like i've got my daw i've got a lot of plugins more than i can ever use i don't need one extra good on top of it to complicate <laughs> things i just can't imagine adding one more jenga brick to the top of the tower that is already serum and phase plant and decapitator and little altar boy and ozone and neutron and it's just like the tower will fall you know it's 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 you know i i've had a lot of djs uh, producers i've talked to in the past and they they used to have all the gear 
And now they're like, nope, I got my my desktop production and you can do everything I want inside of the desktop production pretty much. Um, but I grew up with analog gear. Uh, my brothers were musicians. My father kind of bought them gear. They didn't like to read books. I would get in the studio at eight years old and be learning about MIDI in the, the mid 80s, uh, way ahead of its way, way before it was like even a huge thing. You're trying to translate. The books were translated from Japanese into English. So you're trying to like do these things. You're like, this makes no sense. <laughs> you know? So you're just kind of pressing and playing buttons. But I did always like the feel of analog gear um, up until I, I, I got, uh, even I had an SP-808 and an MC-505 by Roland. And you could still just turn the knobs and, and feel like you're doing something as opposed to a mouse going up and down or clicking it. But again, I don't spend that much time in the studio. I'm, I'm video editing, not not music production. But um, still, technology has come a far way. If there is something that's not on the market today that you think should be created or should be there and be on the market today or would be amazing if it was on the market today, what would that item be? Ooh, man. That's a good one. Uh <laughs> I've always dreamed of um, – it would be pretty awesome to have a device that could scrape melodies directly from my brain. I know they're all about – like Elon Musk is all about the Neuralink and stuff. If you could find some way to plug a jack in there and I could just think how it goes and not have to work out the time typing it in. But even then, I don't know if I'd want that because it's the errors in the execution that make the magic. Um, so once again, I think I have everything I want – there's a couple things that definitely exist that I want. Like, I would love to one day hold and play with the original real 808. I've definitely played with imitators. There are a lot of different um, Korgs in particular that try to be an 808, but I would love to do the real thing one day. Yeah. Um, wow, the 808 kick drum. That was, yeah, that was, that's, that was a snap. I remember growing up, I was into hip hop before I ever got into electronic music. I, I mean, I grew up 70s, 80s music, but in my early, in my 12-year-old, 11-year-old self, going into my teens, I really got into to rap music and hip-hop. And, you know, that was such a core, a core kick drum, that 808 kick, you know, that just couldn't be simulated by anything else at the time. But, and then started finding myself getting into electronic music later in life, um, going to dance clubs and raves and parties and all that fun stuff. Not so much the hip hop stuff anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, um, trying to think if you could go back, knowing what you know, now go back 25 years of music history or go 50 years in music future, which way would you go and why? I, so um, I have a real soft spot for, like, the cutting edge of music. Like, I, I I, know that a lot of people sort of lock in their tastes when they're in their late teens, and that's the music they'll listen to for the rest of their life. But even though I'm pushing 40, I still want to keep up with the latest and greatest. Like, And right now, I'm in love with the sound of hyperpop that's come out just in, like, the last two years. You know, this fast-paced, chipmunk, auto-tuned, um, 100 gex sound. And I can only imagine 
what 50 years from now is going to hold. I, I can't wait. You, you know, if, if you had gone back and in 1995 told me that dubstep was going to happen, <laughs> it would have shattered my psyche. I would have been broken. <laughs> And so I could only imagine if you injected some 2050 shit into my veins right now, I would, I would just OD. I'd be like, I can't imagine what's happening. They went, they went beyond hyper pop. It's upside down dubstep. Oh no. I think it was funny when I watched the movie total recall, the second, the remake of total recall. And it was so dubstep heavy in it. And I'm like, well, you know, it's Okay. Okay, so that's what they predict the future to be like, you know, and I was very interested, you know, and then you go back and you watch something like Blade Runner and you're like listening to the music at the time of what they thought it was going to be. Or you even watch old uh, Battlestar Galactica and how disco was out and they're all in the room and they're like doing a disco dance, doing this weird dance. Like it's like that's what they thought the music was going to be like in the future, you know, it's just kind of very interesting on where it can predict and where things are going to go. But um congratulations on the new Kickstarter that you're launching. Um, you know, definitely looking forward to checking that out and uh, what an undertaking. I think that's going to be a hit. That's, that's, that's something really awesome. And I, I can't wait to, to, to see how that co- how that launches for you. Is there anything you want to let our DJ sessions fans know before we let you go? Well, um, I, I'd say definitely check out the link to the Kickstarter. Uh, I think it'll be in the show notes. There it is. Um, tinyurl.com slash downupright. Uh, there are $10 and $25 tiers where you can be involved in all the polls and surveys where you get to tell me what to do. And there's a $100 tier where you get to sit in a special Zoom session with me and choose the genre of one of the tracks on the album yourself. Um, so you can always point to the finished product and be like, track 23? I I helped make that. And that's going to be cool. Um, other than that, I'm on Twitter as at DownUpright. Um, I tweet semi-often. Uh, I used to have sort of a Twitter problem, so I limit my intake now. Um, I limit my intake now, but uh, all's well that ends well. Um, thank you so much for having me, Darren. Absolutely. Bill, we're going to be following up with you over the course of your career. This is not the last time we're ever going to talk. We, we make it a promise to stay in touch with everyone that comes on the show over and over and over again and, and following what's going on. Um, is there an anticipated date? Like this Kickstarter, Kickstarter, do they have the time gate, like the, the timing? It only lasts for a certain amount of time. Yes, this is, is live from now today until the 23rd. So okay. two and a half weeks. You have two and a half weeks to get in on this project if you want it. And to get in on that project, go right there. (laughs) Yep. Awesome. Again, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the DJ Sessions. It was a pleasure having you. We'll do some follow-up here in the near future. Oh, thanks again. You're welcome. On that note, don't forget to go to our website, thedjsessions.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, Meta. We're out there, but thedjsessions.com is the best place to go. We have 600 news stories a month that come out once every hour. There's something hot on the EDM wire. We got Roku, Amazon Fire, Google Play, soon-to-be Apple TV, our virtual reality nightclubs. But you know what? You want to find out more about it all? Thedjsessions.com. I'm Darren. 
That's Bill coming all the way in from Buffalo, New York. And I'm coming in from the virtual studios in Seattle, Washington for the DJ Sessions presents the virtual sessions. And remember, on the DJ Sessions, the music never stops.